On this week's full-time roundup, the cups keep coming and we see some absolute upsets. AFCON progresses to the knockout stage, leaving a few historic teams behind, and we end the show with our predictions for the weekend. Full-time roundup starts right now. And welcome to the latest edition of Full-Time Roundup. Matt Gesslin joined alongside here by Daniel Brackett. Daniel, we are live at Hobbyist Coffee Shop here in Noda, North Davidson area. For those of you not from the Charlotte area, we have a lot to get to today, so I want to jump right into it. Firstly, I want to focus on domestic leagues, Daniel, and then we'll focus on the Cups, as there are more Cups this week than there are domestic games. But there were a couple of big domestic games during the week that do have some impact. So the first one I want to focus on, of course, is the one that we've been touching on, the story coming out of Germany and the Bundesliga. Bayern Munich take on Union Berlin and make up that game in hand that was canceled due to weather earlier in the season. And uh, Daniel, there were some interesting storylines that came out of this game. I'm not sure how how much you kept an eye on it yesterday. There was a red card that we'll get to here in a second. There was uh, a, a goal that was um, a, a nice goal. Wouldn't say it was a, a great goal. And then, of course, a big three points ultimately for Bayern Munich, who who closed the gap on Bayer Leverkusen down to four points now, uh, with that, of course, that big game in hand coming in in February. Yeah. Well, first off, good morning. This is a uh, this is new for us. This is uh, you know a, a morning cast. Uh, we we had our coffee, so you'll probably hear the tone of our voices change as that caffeine hits our bloodstream. But uh, trying something new today, and yeah, no, that you would expect after a loss at home for Byron, they would you know bounce back in a big way and absolutely just lay the wood on Union Berlin and. You know, they did have a lot of shots. They had over, I think, 20, almost 30 shots on target. So it's not like they didn't create chances. But I, I was able – it was on the same time as Liverpool. So I was able to catch, you know, probably half the game. And just Tuchel ball, for me, just doesn't doesn't do it. And when you have a squad this talented, you'd like to see, you know, heavy metal running at the defenders. And it, to be fair, Union Berlin were packed packing it in and trying to make it hard to break down but you know I just think that they should be winning these games especially with the best striker in the world leading them. Yeah it's an interesting one you know Thomas Tuchel is is notoriously not the greatest offensive mind he, he definitely likes to play a little bit more pragmatic ball we saw that even at Chelsea he's, he's been able to find a way to make talented players um, not goal scorers like you said they have Harry Kane who did hit the post and and obviously led to the goal uh, by Rafael Guerrero um, and so you you kind of see some of that flash but again it's not a fun style of play especially with players like Jamal Musiala, Leroy Sané, you Coleman. know Coleman you can name them down and up top the bottom of the roster and it's just an interesting style that Tuchel likes to play uh, and of course you know they just don't look that good um, no. you know even the first half was very slow and you wondered, kind of like you said, you expected a, a bounce back after the loss at home. Again, this game was at home as well, and, and you didn't see much. Uh, and then you get into the locker room, you come out in the first maybe 10, 15 minutes of the second half. I thought they looked better, uh, but then they get the goal, and then they kind of go back into that shell where they didn't really produce much going forward. Of course, like you said, they're going to have chances. It's Bayern Munich when you're playing a team like Union Berlin. The talent, as we talked about with Real Madrid, is just night and day that much better. So there's going to be naturally a, a better style of play coming from one team versus the other but you're not seeing a, a style that's fun and, and exciting 
on the contrary to you know Bayer Leverkusen and the way that they play, they definitely have a structure and they they're going forward. They're playing more aggressive football, so it is going to be interesting. Regardless of the way you look at it, they do close the gap, uh, which I think is the big the big storyline here. And again, that matchup in February uh, is going to be an absolute decider for me in the title. And it, it's, it's crazy to say, but I, I would take Bayer Leverkusen right now if you ask me. Just the way that Bayern Munich have been playing and the way that they they've been delivering on on the promises that this team has in terms of talent. So you've joined you've joined the dark side, I guess, because you were kind of telling me this whole time that Byron was or Byron was going to end up catching up and, and winning so I love to see that you've you've thought about it and you you switch your allegiances over to, to the good side but yeah I mean if, if you think about perspective right they, they've won 10 years in a row or something crazy like that Union Berlin at home at, off a loss is these are usually those games where you see like a 5-0 and I think Byron have done that once or twice this year and it's with like the worst team in the league, but there hasn't been just like these insanely high-scoring games. It just, and I know it is too cool, like you said. So different approach here. Um, but I will say one crazy stat before we move on here: in this season, Kingsley Coman has never gone a season without winning a trophy, and Harry Kane has never won a trophy. So one of these two things is going to change this year. Which one is it? We're going to have to find out in a couple months. And, of course, on the pitch was what we just discussed, but there was also an incident off the pitch uh, in this matchup, too. I want to get your thoughts on uh, the manager for Union Berlin getting in the face of Leroy Sané, touching him in the face, essentially you know, slapping him uh, a couple times, it looked like. Of course, confrontation you know, between the two of them. It wasn't one-sided, as it, as it may appear. Um, but still, as a manager, you know, it, it feels like you have to be held to a higher standard than, than players on the pitch. And, of course, I think you're looking at a manager now that's going to get, at minimum, a three-game ban. Of course, we're not going to spend too much time on Union Berlin here, but just the, the scenario that played out on the sideline, your take on that. Yeah, I, I saw the scuffle, but I think I you know turned away for a second, not paying attention. But, I mean, completely unacceptable behavior. Uh, when you're, you know, a, a, like an adult, you know, 40 – 50, 60 years old, you're held to a higher standard than the players that are in the game. You know, emotions run high. So, and, and Sané is, like, still fairly young, if you think about it. I mean, he might not be completely, at you know, innocent in this whole thing, but you expect managers to keep their cool. And, you know, we've seen more managers go and lose it on this touchline recently than we've ever seen before, I feel like, with getting, getting sent off with referees or getting into confrontations with players. It's just unacceptable. I just don't I just don't really understand it. You have no excuse. And you mentioned managers getting a little bit heated more and more of late. Of course, you got to keep your composure. Uh, keep your composure out there. Uh, and, and you've seen that, you know, a time or two, like you said. And it's okay to do it off the field. We've seen that recently as well with managers talking about uh, and we'll, we'll, a nice way to kind of transition over to Spain where, you know, Diego Simeone talking about the, the league and, and VAR situation and everything that happened with Real Madrid, well, we can cover that in greater depth if you'd like. But, you know, there's a time and place. You don't take it out on the pitch. You can take it out in the media in, in words, right? Uh, and, and even there, there's scenarios where you, there's only a line that you can go so far. So it'll be interesting to see the ramifications for this manager. I'm not too concerned. Like I said, you know, Union Berlin, they've had a really – pretty dire year this season just yeah. add to the list of, of things that are going on there but Daniel like I said there was some action in uh, in 
La Liga um, with Real Madrid, uh, Atletico Madrid, excuse me, playing on Monday. Uh, they played Granada and they get a big win there. We talked a little bit about how Atleti were kind of slipping. They do kind of move now into that fourth place position with this result. Your thoughts on whether or not Atleti are just too far away or kind of what, what's your status with Atleti now? They are perennially the top four, um, but of course they're having a, a pretty down year for Diego Simeone and his men. We've changed this narrative on them so many times now because, you know, they started the season really high, and then they had this one weird stretch around winter where they dropped a bunch of games. Um, so, I mean, I still think that the squad is good. They're building. They just, you know, huge signing with Arthur Vermeer and the 18-year-old from Antwerp. I mean, this completely changes their team, in my opinion. Even though he's 18 years old, he's probably one of the brightest midfielding prospects out there. So he could really, you know, help with that midfield that's a little bit aging. But Simeone has, you know, built a pretty young squad other than, you know, Griezmann and Morata leading the front. So, I mean, I still think top four is what they'll get. But, you know, you never know when you have Athletic Club kind of challenging you, Real Sociedad challenging you, and then, you know, Barca, Madrid, and Girona seemed like they're not going to stop anytime soon. So I was going to ask you, that's because obviously you had Athletic Club, not Atletico, uh, be fourth position. Yeah. And so they're, they're tied on points with 41 points right now, fourth and fifth. Who, who gets your fourth spot? Of course, a lot can happen still. Girona, you know, is continuing to, to have this storyline of staying at the top and that we don't want to discredit that. But um, is this a battle for fourth? And, and of course, you had, you know, both teams in your top four here. So pick one. I'll go with, I'll go with Madrid here. I, I feel like they're the tried and true. Tried and true, yeah. Um, I tr I trust Simeone. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, wrong. I love Athletic Club and their manager Valverde and some of that talent they have. And now they're at full strength because uh, Ghana got knocked out, which we'll touch on soon. So Naki Williams is back, um, and uh, they looked really good. We'll also touch on that game that was yesterday. It's gonna be a tough one. I. I, I think Madrid's just like the logical choice, but with how, I mean, Girona is literally one point behind Madrid, so literally anything can happen at this point. Yeah, like you said, anything can happen, and we'll keep an eye on it now. The last game of the domestic cup, uh, league, excuse me, uh, uh, cup on the mind, is there's so much cup action going on, and, and Daniel, it's not often that we talk about the Premier League as the third storyline on this show, but uh, of course the last game of that we want to touch on is Brighton versus Wolves on Monday. Uh, a big game for, for Brighton here. Um, just because they want to continue to keep in touch with that top six. Not often that you see uh, Deserby's team have two scoreless draws back-to-back. Uh, -back. And so my question to you is, A, two questions. A, how much do they miss a player like Minamino? And B, can they continue this, this run of going into... Matoma. Matoma, excuse me. Uh, can they continue this run you know, of playing Deserby ball and, and pushing for the top six? I really wanted them to get this win just to make you upset, to be honest, because I, you've been, you know, in my ear about, you know, Chelsea challenging that top six or catching up, they're catching up, and I was like, oh, Four God, points, here, four points. I know, here we go again. And and so I'm really surprised. This should not have been – this was like a fun no-no draw. Both teams had chances and just could not put the ball in the back of the net. I mean, you know, Jao Pedro's looked fantastic for Brighton this year, and he had a couple of good opportunities, and – it, yeah, I, I'm surprised they didn't get the three points. I'm sure Deserby's not exactly thrilled with the draw, 
but I don't know. I, I still think there it's possibility to get top six, but when you have such a young squad, the results are so variable, like varied. It's hard to like you know quantify how many points you can get because literally anything can happen in any game. But they definitely are missing Matoma, no doubt. Yeah, and of course, deserve in a Dingra. Uh, yeah, definitely players missing for them right now. And of course, they lost you know a big chunk of their roster last season as well. So just the fact that they're continuing to maintain. Uh, Deserby making a joke in the media a couple of days ago. You, you know, you, you said we needed more clean sheets, and now we get two clean sheets, and it's a problem. Uh, but of course, you know they they still are within that battle. They're three points behind West Ham for sixth place. You know, one you know one point ahead of Chelsea, tied on points with Manchester United on goal differential, puts them in seventh. So, uh, still a chance, an outside chance for them to finish in Europe. I think that top four position seems a little bit of a far oh, far reach time. for them, but yeah. um, six would still be a good position for them. And of course, they're still in it uh, right now for Europa as well. So they you know, they have a they have a pretty good uh, season still on hand, especially for again everything that they lost last year with you know McAllister. Uh, Caicedo, et cetera, et cetera. So I uh, still feel like the Zerbi ball is still pretty solid and, and in good shape. Yeah, I, would, I, I don't know where Ferguson is right now. I don't know if he's injured or not, but I would like to see him featured in that match. And then just to quickly hit on, they signed uh, Valentino Barco from Boca, and he could be one of those kids that you sign and you throw him immediately in the team and he just absolutely lights the, the Premier League on file. I mean – for our uh, FC, you know, what's that game, football manager or career mode? If you play any of those games, this kid's like one of the three players you always sign when you get the game. So we'll see if I can translate his potential to the Premier League, but I'm pretty excited about that signing, and he got it for an absolute bargain. Yeah, and again, clubs like uh, Brighton and, uh, and uh, you know, West Ham and, and others that have been doing – Good business, uh, mm-hmm. and so another good piece of business. Girona. Girona, other teams, yeah. Uh, so moving away from domestically, like we said, of course we covered all this for you guys on Sunday for the main part. Uh, if you haven't checked out that episode, go ahead and uh, give it a, a listen on wherever you get your podcast. Uh, but, of course, Daniel, the focus is on the Cups right now. The big one, there was a trophy that was handed out on Tuesday. Uh, that is, of course, Inter Milan, who seem to be on pace to have more than one trophy in their trophy cabinet this season. They beat Napoli in the Super Cup. Of course, Martino Laturo Martinez. There we go. It's always a tricky one, but I uh, got there eventually. Is the hero. He's been just scoring goals and buckets for Inter all season. What was your main takeaway from this, other than Inter just seems to be the class of Italy this season? Simone Inzaghi. The gaffer. I mean, he has just come to enter and just won everything. He's won the league. He's won. He's won the super. I think he's won four super cups now. He's won the Coppa Italia. I mean, this guy is not only a, a good manager where he gets results, but you have you know when your players after the games are saying, "Look, we're just enjoying our football. And we're playing out there like it's just kids on a pitch." like the old days like that's what you want that's you don't see that very often right like we've seen plenty of teams win games and still like feel like they're robots it seems like Inzaghi really trusts the players to express themselves and they're enjoying their football and they have done some insanely good business with the the current financial state that they're in so winning this trophy um, which was a scrappy one a 90 like six minute winner when Napoli went down a man but uh, can't really speak more on just Lautaro Martinez and the season he's having. 
his agent should be fired because this guy should be like everyone should be knowing who this guy is and how good of a season he has. I mean, I think he has more goal contributions than he does appearances, and he comes up in the biggest ways. They're top of Serie A. They won the Super Cup. They're still in Coppa Italia. I mean, Champions League. Champions League. They went to the final last year and all, like gave City a good game. I mean, this coach and this player mainly are just insane. If he'd like to have me as his agent, since I did say he was going to be the goal scorer of the season in Syria, he's more than welcome to give me a call. But uh, yeah, he's a fantastic player. He, you know, he's had his ups and downs, and, and he's found a really good landing spot in Inter where he's he's absolutely shined. And um, one thing that I thought was very impressive, Daniel, was the fact that this team a um, just continues to churn out results, but also knowing the fact that this was the first time in a very long time all season that they were not atop the table in Syria. They you know, Juventus jumped them playing on the weekend, and, and you could have had a little bit of a letdown there just naturally, right? Just saying, okay, we're, we've been the top team. We know that we're the best team, but when you look at the table and you say we're no longer that top team and, and it could have translated onto the pitch here, uh, and they just put that aside and they did they took care of business and, and they lift the first trophy, something that they can rub in Juventus's face regardless and say, you don't have that yet. Uh, and, and now they get to go into the back into the league champions and, and kind of make that run without the focus of another tournament or another, you know, uh, distraction, if you will, uh, and, and kind of take that next step in, in the league. That, that is true. Uh, one question I would like, I want to ask a former player who played in Europe is when you have all these different competitions, is it like laser focused tunnel vision when it comes to a competition? And then you don't even think about the other competitions going on until it's like the next game up mentality. I wonder if that, like, like you said, is, is that in the back of their mind about Juventus catching up so they can, you know, at least guarantee one silverware and then, you know, focus on the next. So they have a big matchup this weekend. So it'll be interesting to uh, keep your eye on. But one other player I just wanted to highlight from that team is Kalahanglu. Man, that guy is one of the best midfielders in the world right now, and he's getting almost no recognition, probably more than Martinez. It's a good place to be uh, when you have players of that quality uh, and, like you said, a little bit under the radar uh, for a team that's top the table and, and winning trophies, and uh, you kind of just tip your hat to them and, and say how far can they go. We'll keep an eye out for it. Daniel, of course, Super Cup, great tournament, not going to diminish it. You know, we'll get on Copa del Rey here as well before we dive into, you know, AFCON, Asia Cup, all great cups. All great. But there's one cup in particular that we want to focus on because for those of you that don't know, this is a battle of the podcast. It is. Uh, we're talking about the Carabao Cup, of course, which we had our semifinals on Tuesday and Wednesday, second legs. Chelsea and Liverpool. Both of our teams will be playing at Wembley on February 24th as they both advance into the final. And now, now, it's, now it's, it's business now, Daniel. It is. It is. And I infamously said once you went 1-0 down to Middlesbrough um, on the first leg, I hope you guys come back just so I can kill your dreams and watch you lose another final. Because um, we were doing some, some research on this, and I completely forgot for a second that we played you guys in 2022 in the in the EFL Cup final. Um, that game went to penalties. Sure uh, did. And then I sent you a tweet last night, actually. I don't know if you saw it, um, but it was uh, Ben Chilwell talking about how they've lost like two or three finals now. Was that regarding just Liverpool or is that just in general losing finals? Because I wasn't really sure the context of where that came out of. But if it's so, I 
wanted to laugh pretty hard about it. No, I'm pretty sure. Obviously, we won Champions League. Uh, you did. So, so, and then and that wasn't with that us. That was no, that was 2021 during COVID, um, and then the two cups that you mentioned. So yeah, it's been more more recently the three cups in general, um, and not not so Just much. Just getting like bounced. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it should be a fun game. I mean, I was making another joke how you know your 19 year old average squad will probably be shaking in their boots a little bit having to play Liverpool, but maybe Posh gets them up for this. I, I just hope it's an entertaining game. We'll definitely go somewhere to watch it, no doubt about that. We're gonna, you know, talk about a wager that we'll we'll put on this game. Maybe dinner, maybe something fun. I don't know. Um, so I'm looking forward to this match, and I think Liverpool's gonna get pretty healthy before this one. So I'm glad it's a month in advance. Yeah, and of course, wanting to touch on the games themselves that led to this final a little bit more briefly, but also a little bit more in depth at the same time. Of course, our game. You know, Middlesbrough, not to, to discredit them, I think everyone kind of expected Chelsea to still advance and move on, whether that was, you know, 2-1 uh, on aggregate. I don't think anyone saw six on the board. They just gave um, up. They, they kind of did give up, and, and honestly, they came out of the gate firing. They, they pushed us in the, in the beginning, kind of, you know, were the better team for the first 15, 20 minutes, and then Chelsea find, found that groove, you know, kind of the old saying, weathering the storm, I think they kind of did that even though we were at home, which is hard to imagine. But like you said, it's a bunch of youngsters trying to find their way. And uh, you saw the progression, I think, a little bit better uh, as the game grew on, the way that they were playing, the, the, you know, the football was more enjoyable to watch. They were enjoying themselves for the first time in a long time. And it, it does help when you put up six goals. But I think once you saw, and we texted each other once the first one went in, that that looked like a different team. And they kept building off of that. And, and ultimately, no matter who you're playing, um, at this level, six is a big number to put up. So it's impressive that way. And, and, and then you guys playing on Wednesday, a little bit more cagey match, of course, against a, a fellow Premier League side versus a championship side. But I think it was more a matter of this game running out of time for Fulham. I think if, if Fulham had you know, maybe another half, this game could have been a little different. I don't know if you feel the same way. Of course, you guys went up 1-0 uh, and Fulham came back. But I felt like Fulham were the better team in the second half, or at least as the as the pressure mounted, that they knew that they had to score, and they looked like they could have gotten it. But I think they were in their head a little bit early on. Yeah, I don't. I was really confused because Fulham always gives us a pretty good game, and we completely dominated the first 65 minutes of this match, and then they just decide to to turn it on. I mean, the Craven Cottage was silent for like majority of this match, and then all of a sudden they made some subs, and then. It started to get loud and they started to put pressure on us. So not really sure like what Marco Silva's game plan, if that was the plan, keep it close and then we'll strike in the last 20 minutes. That doesn't really make sense since you're already down and you're at home. But I mean, I was slightly annoyed with Liverpool just because of the fact that, you know, we went up one nil and we had chances to put the game away numerous times and just did not. And so obviously Diop scores and, I think like the 75th minute, it makes things interesting for the last 15 minutes of the game, which is never ideal. But also, I mean, if you look, and I haven't even really mentioned this, which I'm kind of proud of myself because I haven't really need to make excuses. But, I mean, the amount of injuries this squad has, it's on par with Newcastle, Chelsea, like all the teams that you hear are just hospitals right now. I mean, we're missing so many players from either cup competitions or just flat-out injuries. So the fact that we just keep churning out wins and, you know, make it to a final, this is a completely new squad, and this final experience is going to be very valuable for them. 
Yeah, same with us, of course, like you mentioned and I mentioned. And we'll, we'll touch on a, in the prediction segment uh, later on. There's a couple other things going on in Chelsea's favor. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting final. We'll, we'll definitely keep everyone abreast of what's going on. And, of course, there definitely will be some type of wedger, although I don't want to jinx and hex the team already. But, uh, of course, we have to have something on it. So we'll, keep, we'll do something there. Look out for a graphic as well. I will be making a fun graphic for this I will this not game. have any involvement in this, so this should be interesting. Daniel will probably put himself in a box that he better get himself out of with a win. That's all I'll say about that. We'll move on. But, uh, Daniel, the other league, of course, that we want to touch on and a cup that we want to focus on is a big one. Uh, the, the Tournament of Kings, Copa del Rey in Spain. Uh, we are, of course, in the quarterfinals, now into the semifinals after this week's fixtures. Uh, actually, one game to play today, which is Athletic Madrid versus Sevilla. A lot of upsets in this one uh, to date. Um, and, and I'm not sure if there's any one game in particular you want to touch on. I have one that I want to focus on. But a lot of, uh, a lot of things that, you know, did not see coming coming into this week. Trying to read your mind on which one. I narrowed it down to two, but let's hit on just real quick, Real Sociedad, you know, they keep churning out wins against Celta Vigo. They score they score fairly like within like one or two minutes of the game and that kinda just iced the game from there. Um, they were able they played Celta two times in a row. So they played them in the league and then in the Copa del Rey, so that looked interesting. They actually started their B squad in the league, which is surprising. So they kind of, you know, were fairly comfortable. But Luca de la Torre gets another goal. That's two goals in three games. So happy for him. But you know, when so Real Sociedad will play Mallorca, and is this the one that you were wanting? It was not. Okay, okay. I didn't know, but Mallorca upset Girona despite Girona has a late push after a red card. Three, they go up 3-0 in the first 30 minutes of the game off an absolute banger, a horrible penalty call. Did you see the penalty? I did. It was, it what was awful. What the fuck is a handball, dude? Who knows I, anymore? He tucked it in and just yeah, turned. I was one of the worst ones. Considering what we saw on the weekend, This that was a, a bad one. He went to the monitor, saw his hand on, or his like arm on his body and still called it. And I was like, you're kidding I couldn't believe it. I even went on Twitter to see if it was trending, like, people like, oh, VAR are corrupt. Maybe this is a good thing for Girona, you know, the folk put all their eggs in one basket. But, you know, if you think about it, they're only 2-0 up. They ended up scoring, too. This could have been a little bit interesting of a finish. The funny thing about this game was, and, of course, it wasn't the one that I want to touch on. Yeah. The big one is the next one. But um, two things here. It, it seems like this is more Girona. Right. Obviously, the, the form in the league is, is fantastic, and, and we, we want to continue hearing that story, and we hope it, it lives up to the billing. But I feel like, you know, naturally, just Girona, the way that they've, they've historically been losing to a team like Mallorca, that would normally be the case. It was a 50-50 game in my eyes. Of course, current form in the league, like I said, a little different. Excuse us as they're making fresh coffee in the background, if you can hear that. Um, the other part was the way that the story has been going this season, I almost laughed. Because I was watching the highlights, it was 3-0, they get a goal and a penalty and a red card all at once, and in my head I'm saying, there's no way that they're going to score five goals and win this game, right? <laughs> because we've seen that before, where they go down 2-0 and they score five. Uh, and so, and they get a late, late, you know, second yeah. goal, and of course you look at the clock and there's no time for them to get that third, but that was the thing that, that ran through my head was, there's no way they're going to come back from this, right? Which you know you're a good team when you still have that little, like, thing in the back of your head saying are they actually going to do this and to be fair they didn't start 
Bopnik. They didn't start Jan Kuto. They, they, they played more of a B lineup. So I was disappointed when I saw that, but I understand that, you know, you need to rotate and you need to make sure the squad's fresh. So the, the, the fixtures are packing up, but I want to move on. So it's Mallorca and Real Sociedad on one side, and then you have Athletic Club and the winner of Atletico Madrid and Sevilla today. Atletico Club beats Barcelona in a 4-2 thriller. That's uh, another 4-2 game for Barcelona. They just were on the other side this time. Probably game of the week. I actually was able to – it was a fun game to watch, and I actually have a pretty a couple good things to, to say on this one, but I know you're – you're you're ready to give your insight, so let's let's hear it. Well, I just wonder at this point now, where you know, obviously, Xavi is is under some serious pressure. He mentioned you know earlier on or after losing uh, Super Cup and to Real Madrid that this is the season that that we want to win a trophy, right? And now that's two that they're out of, and, and arguably the two easier ones to win. They're not going to win La Liga, and nope. Champions League is probably a far stretch. So, you know that. At, at what point is, we've talked about it, the hot seat, and, and the seat just gets hotter. You also heard about rumors and rumblings in the locker room about players not comfortable or upset with the way he's, he's managing the team. You know, so they're starting to get some real concern uh, in Barcelona about Xavi and, and what he can do. He's also mentioned if they're not competitive that he'll have to leave. So he's, he, he's aware that this is kind of uh, time is running out. But the question is, when, when does the time run out? You know, you have a team that again Daniel again gives up a goal within the first 30 seconds of the game that's not the first time this season that's happened and you don't hear that often about any team let alone three times in one season you know they're playing youngsters which is great Lamine Yamal absolutely shined yesterday that goal was fantastic he did miss two opportunities to, to give them the winners late you're not going to put too much pressure on the 16 year old though the way he's playing that's not on him to make those you know they should still win this match uh, and so from my perspective, it's, it's how much time does Chabi have at this point? Because it is, you know, it is starting to add up where they're just not delivering. I, I've really struggled with this because I was, you know, I was very anti Chabi and I've kind of come around to it a little bit. And why I say that is, I mean, if you look at who played yesterday, right? Alejandro Balde went out of the game within 30 minutes with an injury, and they he threw on an 18-year-old. You know, you have a 16-year-old Lamine Yamal who's been playing. You threw on a 16-year-old Kubarsi as a center back later in the match. You know, you're missing Gavi. Mark Guy played at one point. Mark, Mark Guy. Guy Kate, yeah. I think it's Guy, Guy, one of the two. Kate, that was their attacking substitution with Jao Felix. I mean, the squad is completely decimated with injuries and it's because of the financial state and the dumb things that they did but that's not Xavi's fault Xavi went and won the league in his second I guess or full season he had so you know Jao Cancelo and Christensen being back did help a little bit but I mean you have to deal with injuries but when you don't have the appropriate depth depth and depth ugh, in the first place to like really you know navigate that it's hard to really blame the manager. Obviously, he still leaves a lot of tactics to be desired, but I mean, Athletic Bilbao or club today, 
played a great game. I mean, Nico Williams. Oh yeah, credit to them. They, is they were fantastic. Fantastic. Sunset. The the you know the number ten played a great game. Anaki Williams, forty eight hours after playing in Africa, goes on and scores and has an assist to win the game. I mean. What insane. But I do think I, I have maybe a spicy take, maybe not, about Lamine Yamal. The fact that you've seen this 16-year-old kid just, you know, with the raw athletic ability plus the confidence and the ability to go and score goals and be clinical at times, I mean, is this kid the next Messi? He feels that way, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, he's just insane. 16 years old. I don't know what you were doing at 16. You, not I mean, even that good. wasn't too long ago for you. But you know, you know, not playing at Barcelona at the biggest games of the of their season, scoring, scoring goals. Final. Again, the goal that he had was if you haven't seen it. Just you know, takes the ball, defe- defeats two defenders on his own, and then puts an absolute banger. You know, bottom corner outside the box, left foot. I, I mean, the kid is special. Same position as Messi, yep. left footed. Special kid, special talent. I think the future is bright. You know, whether or not it's with Xavi that that's guiding him uh, or not, he's going to be kind of that 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 uh, spine of the team going forward. You mentioned all the youngsters, of course. The future is bright for Barcelona. I think that that's something that teams and people have to put in perspective. The other thing that's concerning, though, like you mentioned, is is the financial situation. You know, getting bounced in the quarterfinals is not going to help. Uh, you know, especially when you're trying to win tournaments and get the prize money for that. You know, of course, they don't win the Super Cup, but they get the financial situation for that. Uh, they're not going to win La Liga, so the, there's another deduction of probably what their finances was, was benchmarked at. So it's you've got to lean on the, on the kids um, because that's where you're going to have, and that's tr- traditionally been, you know, La Masia's is the way that they've kind of developed some of these. But it is still concerning, and, and of course, the, the fan base there is not going to really put up with a lot of um, – Poor seasons anymore at this yeah. point. That's just the expectation of Barcelona. So, is it going to be Xavi? That's that to me is the biggest question. Ultimately, is is who is the manager going forward? His saving grace is the development of these kids, though, yeah, right? Because before him, there was no La Masia graduates in the squad. There was you know articles coming out of when you know we haven't seen an Iniesta or a Xavi or a Messi or. PK in a long time like where where did this academy go with all these kids and he immediately came in promotes Gavi promotes Laminia Mall promotes Balde and now they're like the most important players in the squad so that is one saving grace this is a project like you like to say with Chelsea so it'll see if they have patience with them just because he's developed these 16 to 18 year old kids and they're playing great ball I'm just scared they're gonna have to sell these kids to for you know financial reasons, yeah. but just to quickly predict, uh, Atletico Madrid versus Sevilla, I think Atletico Madrid just absolutely kills Sevilla. If if you're the Spanish Federation, you hope so, right? Because if you're looking at who else is left in this tournament, you know Mallorca, Athletic Club. No discredit to Real Sociedad, but they're not a big name uh, like a Atleti or Barca, who are now out. Of course, Girona were the top of the table. You would have liked to have had them there. So you're looking at a potential final of, you know, Mallorca versus Sevilla, who are 16th place in the Liga. Um, and so that That's could be gross. your final right now. So it is an interesting Copa del Rey. Of course, we love the cup for this reason. You never know what's going to happen. But, yeah, if you're if you're the federation, you're hoping Dio Simeone advances. And and ultimately, you're, you're hoping for Real Sociedad or Athletic Club, Athletic uh, Bill Bow final so absolutely and just uh, kind of hit on some other roundup 
before we kind of jump into discussions and predictions. Um, Feyenoord beats PSV in the Dutch Cup. That was a surprising game. Feyenoord's been struggling the last, you know, couple months since Champions League ball has finished. So I, I expected PSV to bounce back after drawing. And The curse of me as well, talking about, you know, invincible for PSV, and they, they draw and then lose uh, back-to-back games since I've talked about another, it. So. Another tally for the Gessling curse. Love to see it. And then for the Portuguese Cup, uh, probably the two craziest results I saw. So Lisbon um, were knocked out by Braga. Um, in regular time, which is crazy. And then Estoril beats Benfica uh, in penalties. So both favorites of this competition don't make it. It'll be Estoril versus Braga played this weekend. I think Braga will win this game. Um, so good on Braga. They you know, have built a very good, solid squad. And I could love to do a deep dive into them on another episode. But just wanted to highlight that. And now we have AFCON. And do you just want to name who made it out of the group and then name the matchups? How, how do you want to go about Yeah, this? I was going to say, I think from, from – and, of course, we'll get to Asia Cup as Asia Cup is, has one more round of matches. Uh, AFCON has officially finished the group stage uh, and, and has announced the knockout. So um, I think, Daniel, the, the, from my perspective, it, it makes sense to go through everything um, just as far as groups and then, you know, say who we think is going to probably win the tournament. We'll, we'll dive into the knockouts more individually as they come about. And then, of course – as we get more into like the semifinals and finals, it's going to be a little bit more focused. But um, coming out of Group A, you have Equatorial Guinea, which is a big surprise, topping the group there. Nigeria coming in second is the B position. Uh, of course, you know we've talked about it even within Champions League, having that B position makes a huge difference on which side of the draw you get and, and who you could potentially pace going forward. So Nigeria, who, who were a favorite um, going into this tournament, have a different path now than they had before uh, in Group B. You'll have Cape Verde, another big surprise, which we touched on, uh, and Egypt go through. So even without Mo Salah, Egypt advance, and, and will he be able to get back in time depending on how far they go? Who knows? We have heard that his injury was a little bit more serious than anticipated. That could also be a little bit of Liverpool pulling the strings behind the scenes so he doesn't have to go back. We'll see. But uh, Cape Verde and Egypt go in. Of course, the big one here is Ghana that does not advance, um, and so they're out which I think is, is a huge storyline. This was the biggest joke I've ever seen, and it's not just because I bet on it. Um, I, you know, Ghana goes up 2-0. They're looking like Egypt's going to get knocked out of the tournament. And within the last, like, five minutes of the game, they score a penalty, and then they score an extra time to draw in dramatic fashion, which makes uh, Ghana... I mean, I've never seen... A choke and one of the goals that ended up happening was from a corner that the keeper it was the most obvious I've ever seen of a ball going out of bounds and the keeper just like hits it for no apparent reason I've never seen I mean this is AFCON it's full like insanity but could not believe Ghana choked as like a historical winner of the tournament so that that's pretty crazy then you got group C Cameroon which is not the host that's on me it's in Ivory Coast. My bad, guys. Cameroon scraped by against Gambia. And then Senegal beat Guinea, but Guinea's able to survive in that third spot. And, and this is right off the bat a huge example of being you know, top of your group, of course. Nigeria now played Cameroon, a big matchup there. Again, Cameroon has been a little bit under underwhelming in this tournament, but still very talented Onana squad. bench, too. Onana bench. So, of course, if you're Nigeria, you were not expecting or hoping to play Cameroon in the first knockout matchup. So 
again, just an emphasis on how important it was yeah. uh, and is in group tournaments to, to win your group versus coming second place. Absolutely. And then for Group D, Angola and Burkin Faso go through in Algeria. Last place in the group. What a pathetic performance from them this tournament. They they only needed a point against a team, uh, Muratiana, that had never actually scored or won a game, I believe, or led a game in a tournament in AFCON in their history. So the, the entire nation's history. Um, you know, the manager drops. Uh, Riyad Mahrez doesn't even play him. Uh, and, and well, I think he came on in the last game. Maybe in the last game. But, uh, you know, Algeria, huge, huge surprise. And a team that previously have won this tournament two, two, two versions ago and to go into you know a group. If you looked at their group and told me that Algeria was going to come last, big surprise. Premier, all I'm going to say is Premier League Mahrez isn't dropping that stinker of a performance if he still played for City. You know, there might be a discussion to have about the Saudi League and some of these players coming and not playing very well after playing in a weaker league. That's not me, though. Um, Group E, Mali and South Africa go through. Tunisia surprisingly plays its bottom. We've kind of touched on that before. And then for Group F, Morocco and DR Congo go through. Zambia and T Tanzania bounce. So I'm just going to quickly, since we haven't mentioned it, you know, you mentioned Nigeria, Cameroon matchup, Angola, Nambia, Cape Verde, Mauritania, which they, wow, they went through. I didn't notice that. Morocco versus South Africa. Mali versus Burkina Faso, Senegal versus Ivory Coast. That'll be a really fun matchup. Egypt from Congo against Congo, and then Equatorial Guinea versus Guinea. Oh my gosh! The so, Battle of the Guineas. The Battle of the Guineas. That's wild. But should be a really fun matchup. From this, Senegal has a really tough path. Um, from what I'm looking here, I would say Egypt has an easier passive path if they could get Mo healthy. And then I would say probably if Nigeria can get past Cameroon, they'll probably meet up with Morocco in the semis to get to the final. I'm liking a Morocco-Senegal final, though. I was thinking exactly the same thing. Of course, Ivory Coast, don't doubt them out. They're A, the host. So now that they've advanced, they'll have the officially home crowd. The host. Officially the host. Uh, they'll have the home crowd behind them, and they have a very talented squad. So keep an eye out for that game. But, yeah, if, if Senegal can get past uh, Ivory Coast, I think um, they, that is the final for me as well. Uh, you know, Morocco, of course, semifinalists at the World Cup in, in 2022. Um, and so they have a very talented squad there, and I believe that would be a final as well. So, uh, of course, AFCON, very early stages of the knockout. Like I said, Asia Cup has one more round to go as we speak. They are playing games, so we'll keep you posted on Sunday how those knockout tournaments uh, line up. Uh, but, of course, Daniel, um, it's always for the Cup. Uh, we, we really wanted to dive in on some of the Cup fixtures here. So we're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, though, we're going to do some more discussions, some high-level, you know, kind of talking points within the game as it is, as we try and do on Thursdays. And then, of course, it's a Thursday show, so we'll get you geared up for the weekend with some predictions, and uh, we'll be right on the other side of the break. And welcome back. Uh, like we said, want to get into some more discussions here first, though, Daniel, some, some business to take care of. Uh, we did not do this on the other side, on the previous side of the break, so, of course, um, let us know, um, you know, how our conversations were about any of the stuff that we talked about, the, the Cups, the Domestic League. Um, you can do that over on X at Full Time Roundup. Uh, of course, download, like, subscribe, 
and leave us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. It does go a long way. Uh, and, of course, you can also interact with us individually. Daniel's uh, Twitter handle or X handle is LiverpoolCLTFC. Mine is Life of M. Gesslin. Uh, feel free to interact with us over there as well. But, like I said, before the break and just coming into it, we want to touch on a few more just general discussion topics. We try and add these in for you guys here and there as we do love the sport as a whole, not just fixated on the results on the pitch. Um, so, Daniel, I know we've touched on it, and, and you've put a couple of topics down here to discuss. Uh, some of mine we've already touched on, you know, the big storylines of Barcelona, things like that. So um, I want to kind of leave the floor here for you to, to start us off with the one that you want to focus on the most, uh, and we'll kind of go into it from there. But uh, there's a couple of good ones here for sure. So I think it's, a, you know, halfway through, I think it's a, a good time to do some club power rankings, best five teams in the world. And my, this list has actually changed since I just copied and pasted from an old episode that we didn't have time for. But I'm going to go ahead and give you my five, and then you can... In, in order? Or is this in order? Or? This is this is going to be in order. Okay. But just obviously know that some of these are, are fairly tight. So, like, there's not much overlapping one or the other. So, number one, no bias at all. I'm going to go with Liverpool. It's probably safe to say the best team in the world as of right now as of right now, especially when we get healthy. Now, number two, as they get healthy, Manchester City are, are right up there. Number three, now this might surprise you here, Inter Milan are number three. Number four, Real Madrid. And number five, Bayer Leverkusen. I do take exception with Liverpool being one. As we've talked about before, you mentioned this earlier in the season, them being a top three squad in the world, which I don't disagree with, but Manchester, you did. You did. Back I did then. at that time. At that time, uh, of course, Liverpool topped the table in the Premier League, are arguably the most prestigious league in the world. Although we can definitely have some arguments with people. I'm sure we'll hear about that as we, we make that claim. But uh, Manchester City, undefeated in the Champions League group stage, and right behind Man, uh, right behind Liverpool. Of course, you mentioned them getting healthy. I'll take Manchester City. Of course, they also won the treble last year, so prove me until I'm wrong kind of thing. Fair enough. Um, I will take Real Madrid second. Um, again, just the talent the right behind there, the historical premise of what they can do. Uh, Liverpool, I'll give you Liverpool at third. Um, you know, we're at the quarter mark or halfway mark now for the Premier League at there at the top. We have seen how quickly that can change, of course. In December alone, Arsenal were top, and now they're third. So that, you know, take that for what it's worth. It, it does change quickly. Uh, but, yeah, I do agree talent-wise, the way that you guys are playing, uh, third best team right now for me. Uh, I'll take Inter as well. I do have Inter in that, in that category, especially, again, uh, winning uh, Super Cup, top, essentially top the table if they continue to, to play the way they are, and as well in the Champions League, advancing into the knockout stage. And, of course, you have to have Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, although they are in Europa, uh, they are still arguably the best team in, in the unbeaten Bundesliga still. and unbeaten. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do agree with the five. Um, just the order for me is a little different. Of course, you have you know teams like PSV, who you could throw in there potentially as an argument. Um, Based just, off their Champions League campaign, that's why I yeah. didn't. Because, obviously, they bossed the league. But, you know, they, Lesser competition they haven't and, done yeah. – they made it out of the group in Champions League, but right. they, it wasn't convincing. Totally. PSG, similar, similar thing. Competition in, in France is not as strong. So – I'm good with this five, um, and it'll be interesting to see how it shuffles and changes and evolves as the season goes on. Definitely different competitions and uh, ultimately winners of leagues, et cetera, et cetera, but a pretty strong pretty strong one. Bayern's an honorable mention. You know, you said PSG. I'd say probably 
mean, Dortmund's a top 10 team. Um, Juventus is a top 10 team. Um, trying to Oh, Arsenal. Yeah, I feel like you got to group them in the top 10 team. So just a couple a couple teams we wanted, not just that we're forgetting about. We just use the it's, same It's teams. a long list, right? It and is a long it, list. It, you can arbitrarily move teams in and, and, and out. So, um, yeah, I think if you're looking – you know, subjectively or, or without bias, I think these are the, the best five right now. If Bayer Leverkusen were more healthy right now, they'd probably leapfrog Inter for me, but just based <laughs> off, you know, the current injury crisis and players out, that's why they are fifth for me, even though they are one of the only teams that is unbeaten in the squad now. Um, so another one I wanted to, to re, uh, talk about is... And I think something really interesting, to be honest. So I, I hope that we're thinking the same one that where you're going next. Is Does Japan have a brighter future than the USMNT? And I, I had this question ready before the tournament started. Now we're seeing, you know, Japan not exactly convince during the tournament, which makes this even more of a convoluted question. But what do you think? Uh, depending on if you ask Greg Berhalter and his XG stats, um, I Daniel, when he texted me this, could probably sense the seething coming out of my head when he mentioned this. Of course, I'm talking about how uh, Greg Berhalter in his post-game press, press conference after the U.S. men's national team on Sunday lost to Slovenia uh, was saying how, how great a performance it was because they were getting chances. Whatever you want to say, Greg, go, go find some more basketball shoes. Um, this is a great question. I think that there's a lot of a lot here to unpack. I think maybe we do an entire episode at some point about this, um, not just about Japan, but I think more broadly about U.S. men's national team and how the progression has gone or where the future is for this team. Right now, I would say Japan has a brighter future um, for for a couple of factors. One, they, they've done it for a little bit longer. The way that they've been building this program up, they've you know they've They've done and had good success in World Cups. Not that the U.S. hasn't, um, but historically, if you look back, of course, they hosted it with Korea in 2002. Uh, they advanced to you know this, the quarterfinals there in that tournament. Don't date yourself. I know, but uh, that you know, just looking at it, uh, you know, the, the program and the, you've talked about it with you and the other day, the manifesto yeah. essentially that they're trying to build the squad and um, that you know it's a smaller nation, and so when they have a a nation that is all in and behind it, I think. It's a little bit easier than trying to kind of get pieces of the U.S. that have, you know, there's so much here to, to kind of lean on and, um, you know, basketball, football, hockey, et cetera. You know, baseball for Japan is really the other sport um, that, that kind of stands out to me as, as the big one. So, um, of course, you know, you put all those factors together. I think if, to your point, if they don't win the Asian Cup, um, I think it's, a, it's a, a little bit of a blip on their radar. But at the same time, from our perspective, you know, we have Copa America coming up this summer. That's a huge stepping stone for us. Uh, what do we do, at, you know, in our host country World Cup in 2026? So I think the, the argument is still an evolution, but I do think if you ask me right this moment, I think Japan uh, has a little bit of a, a heads up on this one. How I think about this, I'm sure, you know, you could probably relate as you've worked at a couple of different places. Um, the U.S. national team is like a big corporation, and Japan is like not a startup, but like a medium size, where they can Japan can streamline everything, and everyone is always on the same page. You know, they have their mission statement, and 
they don't differ. When the U.S. national team, there's so much bullshit going on that it's impossible to get all your ducks in a row, right? Yeah. So, you know, you, you fire your club president, but then you hire, you know, someone internally. You don't go external. Then you have a coach who's gone through a cycle or two who did well, but, you know, his track record wasn't great against good opponents. You know, you do a search and you, and you rehire him. You know, For those that missed it, Daniel had air quotes with the search because it was yeah, not much not, of a search. Not much of a search. And so you just seem like you can't – it's like an organization that just can't get it out of its own way. Meanwhile, the players have all moved to Europe, and a lot of them are getting pretty good game time. So the players have never been better. You're going through a golden generation, kind of like Japan is right now. They're in very similar spots talent-wise. But – you have one organization that's, you know, not only having a, the best coach that they have possibly at the helm, but, you know, they have the organization, you know, bringing a good style of soccer up. And the U.S. is, is not it's still pay to play. It's, it's hard to, I don't know, find talent and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I'm at, where it's just, you know, a small country versus a big country and the, the small country's winning. Yeah, and again, it's a it's a really good discussion, and, and I think we could expand this not only to Japan going forward, but more broadly, just where what is the future in the state of the men's national team. So, um, again, a, a topic just to kind of scratch the surface. And, um, again, let us know on X, full-time roundup, uh, if this is something that you want us to discuss a little bit further, um, if there's any other nations that kind of fit into that category for you as well. Uh, the other one here, Daniel, that you had, but I, I don't want to take too much time and, and run over, um, you know, we all have some stuff to do is the Saudi league and what's been happening there with the exodus of players and and just the the lack of understanding of what they were getting themselves into and now wanting to, to remove themselves from it uh, so we'll, we'll definitely cover that in more length and depth especially after the transfer window closes in case some more players do move um, so we'll, we'll table that one for a different day uh, but again some great discussions here that we can kind of dive further into now it is Thursday it is a prediction show so we do want to wrap up the show with some predictions, as we always do on Thursdays. Of course, if you're new to the show, the way that this works is Daniel finds me four games to fall asleep to on the weekends and lets us know, and we predict the scores for you. So uh, I'm going to let him fire away and, and start us off. There's a big one that he has on the list here to start. Uh, and I do have a little bit of a thought on this game as well. Um, so just, uh, just a little tease there. All right, so we started in rainy England with the FA Cup. Chelsea face off against Aston Villa. You know, probably if you asked me how this game's going to go a month or two ago, I'm hammering Aston Villa all day, every day. But due to recent results, this is a little bit of a toss up for me. It's at the bridge. I'll let you go first. This is a big game, uh, a very big game. Momentum on Chelsea's side right now. Um, if they win this game, they have a cup final. They'll have advanced to a semifinal, I believe. Or we'll, be the, no, we'll be in the quarterfinals after this round. And then, you know, they'll have beaten Villa. They play Liverpool next in the league. Then they have a break, and then they play City. So this is a bit – not a break. They play, you know, bottom half team. Tough schedule. Yeah, tough schedule coming up. So this is a big game for me. If they can get a result here, and I do think that they find a way to at least maybe get a replay um, – I'll take Chelsea 2-1. Um, 
feels like Villa hasn't played in like a week or two. They they feel well rested just yeah. off not really doing any research, but just following you know every day. I just haven't feel like I haven't seen them play in a while. I'm gonna back Villa here. Um, I just think I'm going with the better coach, and I think Emery is the better coach here. I'm gonna go opposite two one Villa here. Now probably the game of the week. Ange Postacoglu Spurs versus Manchester City in the FA Cup at White. Is that White Hart Lane? Or it is, is White Hart Lane. Okay, Old Time I, Stadium at White. Hart I can't. Lane. I can't remember the new name. Um, so should be interesting affair. Holland might be back. He was training, but I don't know if they'll they'll, they'll risk him. But I could see De Bruyne playing a, a big part in this match. James Madison's also back for Spurs. How do you think this game goes? Three-one City. I think the high line uh, and the way that City are playing, um, and, and now that the teams have had a chance to figure out how to play against Ange, I think 3-1 City. This is the biggest over game of all time. I agree with you. I'm going to go 4-1 uh, City. Um, Barca versus Villarreal. You know, Barca just played a game today, had some injuries. Might lot to play Villarreal. Villarreal is kind of a weird team right now, but they did sign a striker, so maybe they'll be more of an attacking force for that back line of Barca. What do you think? I'll take 1-1. Of course, it's a league game now, so they can draw again. Um, uh, no, sure. no finals. Uh, give me 1-1 <laughs> in this one, and, and still a little bit of uncertainty for Barcelona coming out of this one. I'm going go, to go 2-1 Barca. I think they do bounce back here, but I think it will be a fun game to watch. Um, to go to another game, Athletic, Atletico Madrid, I'd like Team Madrid versus Valencia. Valencia have been sneaky good this season. You know, Madrid played today on Thursday, so a quick turnaround time. Are they going to be able to kind of keep turning these games out as they feel like they've played seven games in like five days? Yeah, three games this week alone. Yeah, uh, and brutal. Valencia, as we've talked about on the show, pretty pretty sneaky good squad here. I think Valencia got a surprising win, two one, and continue moving up the table. Um, I do I do think just three games in five days is a lot to ask for for any team, especially, you know, Atleti, not not the youngest of squads here as well. So, uh, yeah, give me Valencia in a surprising 2-1. Yeah, I think Valencia are, are a pretty good shout in this match. It really depends on how Simeone lines the team up today against Sevilla. If he rests, then I would like Atleti more in this game, but it's hard to tell since, you know, the game hasn't happened yet. Um, I'll probably go a 1-1 draw here. Um, go over to Germany, the only game on the docket in, in Germany this week for me. Um, Leverkusen versus Gladbach should be a pretty fun one. Yeah, I think so too. I think there'll be a surprise though here. Um, I think a, a, a draw, 2-2 um, two, two draw. Keep banging against my team. I know, 2-2 two, two draw. The other one that I want to touch on before you give your prediction on, on this game is um, keep an eye out for Augsburg against Bayern Munich. They have to go to Augsburg. It's not an easy place to play. Um, they gave Bayer Leverkusen the challenge as well earlier this season. So it's uh, in Bavaria, right? Yeah. So, so it's a pretty neighbors. Yeah, almost. exactly. But it's a tough match, um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if you see, you know, Bayern maybe drop some points there too. But yeah, I think I think Leverkusen don't lose, um, but but they do drop points. One one in this one. I'm gonna back Leverkusen here big time. I think this will be a high scoring affair. I'm gonna go three one Leverkusen. Um, and I think Augsburg could could get a draw here against Bayern. I'm just going to say that out loud. Um, to go to Serie A, Milan versus Bologna. We've been pretty high on Bologna while kind of 
so-so on AC Milan. They struggled a little bit against Udinese last week. Do you think they're able to, to you know, beat a, a struggling Bologna at the moment? Yeah, I think Bologna's slide continues uh, 2 0 AC Milan. I'm going to go 1 1 here. Um, I think I'm going to back Diogo Malta to kind of get a result here and at, at the Sun Zero. Um, so 1 1 for me. Lazio versus Napoli. Uh, Lazio are in much better form. Um, you know, Mazzarari is already on the hot seat at Napoli. I could see Mourinho coming in here if they lose this one and, get, and he gets fired. So I'm going to back Napoli 2 1. How about you? Tough one um, for me. I think a typical Italian 0 0 draw here for this. Might, might be my nap game. Nap game? I was going to save that for, for next. Inter versus Fiorentina. I could see this being a scrappy affair. I do think Inter is going to win 1 0, but the fact that they won a final and they probably partied a little bit after could play a factor because Fiorentina are no slouch. What do you think? Fiorentina definitely no slouch. I think, though, that Inter kind of come out and make a statement, uh, not only winning the tournament, uh, the cup they just won, but also saying to Juventus, hey, we're not here just for cups. We're here for the league. Uh, give me 3 1 Inter. You've been, you've been talking a lot about Juve catching up, so this would be a big game for, for that discussion. And then last on the docket, uh, Marseille versus Monaco in Ligue 1. Both teams absolutely decimated from AFCON and Asian Cup and injuries. Should be an interesting affair. Don't know what the starting lineup for either team is going to look like, but I think it'll be a fun one. I'm going to go 2-2. Good matchup. Of course, uh, pretty close rivals as far as location down in the you know, south of France. Um, not, not the rivalry that it is with Nice, but a pretty big rivalry nonetheless for Marseille. Um, I, yeah, I'll go, I'll go two-two here. I think this is going to be a good matchup. Uh, Monaco, of course, you know, still top or not a top, but closer to the top of the table. Um, and so, so I think that they have an opportunity here to kind of close the gap on second place. So uh, I'll take Monaco, but uh, not a really a fun, not a great and entertaining watch. But Daniel, it's been fun. I'm now caffeinated. Uh, my voice has definitely changed as we've gotten on. I woke up and almost missed my alarm uh, to get here, to be honest. So, uh, but it's been been good talking footy with you as always. Uh, you can follow us again on Full Time Roundup over on X. Uh, interact with us, discuss anything that we touched on here. We'll of course have a Sunday show for you guys where Daniel potentially will or won't be here. There may be a guest host as he's out of town. Um, but of course, as always, we will see you in the next roundup.